This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Greetings, truth seekers. Welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I will be your host. This is episode 194, entitled The Human Jesus in Hebrews Chapter 2. I want to remind you of the upcoming debate in which I'm going to participate, which is going to be not this Friday, but next Friday on October 22nd. And the information and link to the debate will be posted in the notes associated with this particular episode. This week, we're going to look at one of the strongest passages that argues for the full humanity of Jesus, which is located in the latter half of Hebrews chapter 2. Although biblical Unitarians typically resort to citing a variety of single verse quotations in order to argue that the Bible teaches that Jesus is a human being, today I'm going to suggest that this passage in Hebrews chapter 2 might be worth considering as a much more persuasive passage. What does it mean to say that Jesus was like his brothers and sisters in all things? Was Jesus really tempted? And if so, is this the same sort of temptation that everyday Christians experience? What does the humanity of Jesus say about his relationship with God? Why is it that some of the older translations of Hebrews chapter 2 speak of Jesus taking upon himself human nature, while modern translations no longer speak this way? And how does the humanity of Jesus fit into the doctrine of atonement within the book of Hebrews? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is initial impressions of Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. I will start by reading today's passage. Starting in verse 14, Hebrews chapter 2 says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who, through the fear of death, were subject to slavery all their lives. For, assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore, He had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted." That's Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. So let's talk about my initial impressions and 
reactions to this particular passage? Well, the first thing that stands out to me is that Jesus partook of the very same flesh and blood as other human beings. And since this passage follows two Old Testament quotations from Psalm 22 and Isaiah chapter 8, which demonstrate that Jesus actually has brothers and sisters, has family members, has fellow human beings in his family, this makes a very strong argument for the genuine humanity of Jesus. Now, of course, Jesus having flesh and blood indicates that he was mortal. He was susceptible to death. And not only was he susceptible to death, he actually died. Hebrews does not make any sort of argument to say that Jesus partially died or only died in one particular way. No, the argument of Hebrews is that Jesus completely died, he fully died, he was wholly dead. Because flesh and blood indicates humanity in humanity's weakness. Now, because of the death of Jesus and the fact that he is now alive again, the passage indicates that Jesus is now able to free those who were subject to the slavery of fear of death. Namely, Jesus is going to help out other human beings, specifically the descendants of Abraham, the children of Abraham. And I'm pretty sure that the author of Hebrews means the descendants of Abraham both physically and spiritually those who are united by faith, those who would be counted as Christians, followers of Jesus that are the spiritual descendants of Abraham. Now, I think it's rather interesting that it is the death of Jesus, specifically Jesus, who himself was flesh and blood, that rendered the devil powerless and offered freedom. In other words... It was a human being who was at the center point of atonement. It was a man, a member of the human race, that could die and did die for your sins. There was no argument here about a divine being dying, or God dying, or some sort of heavenly angel dying. No, it is the flesh and blood human Jesus that died to offer freedom and to render the devil powerless. We also note the emphasis on Jesus being like his brethren in all things, pertaining to all matters. Jesus is like human beings in every possible way. We also note that Jesus has a relationship with God, namely, he is faithful to God. We'll come back and talk about this a little bit later, but I think it's very interesting to not only demonstrate that Jesus and God are distinguished, but there is a relationship between the two of them to where Jesus has a faithful response to God, implying that God has some sort of obligations upon Jesus. In light of this, Jesus is faithful as a high priest. And as a high priest, Jesus must be a human being among the people of Israel, who mediates forgiveness and holiness concerns between God, that's one party, and between God's people on the other side. And Jesus functions as the mediator. 
A lot of readers of the Bible aren't quite aware of this, but the doctrine of Jesus being the high priest is primarily and arguably only indicated in the book of Hebrews. You're not going to find it in the Gospel of Matthew or 1 Corinthians or the book of Revelation. It is a contribution to New Testament theology made by the author of the book of Hebrews. We also see in this passage that Jesus was tempted. And it's Jesus himself who was tempted, indicating that Jesus had one single self. He was one entire person. This is not two natures or one person that also had an additional human nature. This is Jesus himself. He himself was tempted. There isn't any sort of veiled attempt to say that Jesus wasn't tempted or that he was partially tempted or only his human nature was tempted. No. The author of Hebrews is clear, he himself was tempted. We also need to keep in mind that the New Testament is clear that God cannot be tempted, according to James chapter 1. And the verb for temptation, pirazo, is used in both James to determine that God cannot be tempted, and in Hebrews chapter 2 and chapter 4 to demonstrate that Jesus himself was tempted. So something happened to Jesus that specifically is said that cannot happen to God, indicating that Jesus is not the true God. Let's move to our next point, a point of controversy, which is the history of interpretation of Hebrews 2.16. Now you might be reading Hebrews 2.16, and you might be thinking, where's the controversy? What is the issue with this particular verse? Well, I'm going to read it to you in one of our modern translations, and then I'm going to read it to you in an older translation and point out to you the ways in which this passage was interpreted throughout Christian history and talk about the controversy surrounding it. So Hebrews 2.16 says in practically every single modern translation that for assuredly he, that's Jesus, does not give help to angels, but he, Jesus, gives help to the descendant of Abraham. So Jesus doesn't help angels, but he helps the descendant of Abraham. And it's this key verb, helping, giving help to. Jesus doesn't help angels, but he helps the descendant of Abraham. Now, if you go back and you look at the King James Version from over 400 years ago, this is how they translated this verse. For verily, he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. That's very interesting. The King James translators, and of course the translators of the New King James Version, which have the same rendering, didn't understand the verb in 2.16 as giving help to, but rather as taking on the nature of said object. So in the King James Version, it says that Jesus didn't take on the nature of angels, but Jesus took on the nature of the seed of Abraham. Namely, Jesus took on the human nature of these human descendants of Abraham, indicating some form of incarnation of a conscious, pre-existent being that took upon himself human nature. That is certainly not the impression that you get from every modern translation. And I looked at about a dozen of them, and none of them translate the verb in the sense of taking on nature of either angels 
or human beings. Let's talk a little bit about this. So when we look at the verb a little more closely, which is the verb epilamvanome, it has a variety of meanings. Now, to be clear, in some passages, it can mean to make the motion of grasping or taking hold of something. So it'll get translated as take hold of, grasp, catch. Sometimes it's a violent grasping, something that is grabbed violently. And so the variety of places within the Gospels and the Book of Acts to where this is certainly true. But the verb can also mean to be concerned with, to be concerned about. And in the BDAG lexicon, it is this particular entry of being concerned with, concerned about, taking an interest in, in the sense of helping, where Hebrews chapter 2.16 is placed by that lexicon. It's very interesting. So it could mean a couple of different things, but the best New Testament Greek lexicon that we have says that Hebrews 2.16 should be understood in the sense of being concerned with, being concerned about, taking an interest in, in the sense of helping. Now, if we look at the way that some of the church fathers and the early Christians surrounding the doctrine of the Trinity, we can see that they were very influential in understanding this passage in light of the taking human nature. It's like they would read that particular definition of the verb back into the text and suggest that Jesus, being a conscious pre-existed being, namely the Son of God, would take upon himself this human nature. So take, for example, Ambrose in his document on the Christian faith, chapter 3, paragraph 11, which says, For he, God, did not indeed put on him, that's Jesus, the nature of angels, but that of Abraham's seed. So Ambrose suggested that God put upon Jesus the human nature associated with Abraham's seed. And that's how Ambrose understood this passage in Hebrews 2.16. This was very popular among Catholic exegetes, namely Thomas Aquinas. So Thomas Aquinas has a commentary on the book of Hebrews, and in section shine 148, Aquinas says, quote, We have never read that he assumed an angel, but only of the seed of Abraham, that is, a human nature, not in the abstract, but in an individual, and from the seed of Abraham. He adds this in order that the Jews, who glory in being the seed of Abraham, might venerate Christ more. Aquinas goes on and says, This taking hold of human nature unto the unity of the person of the Son of God exalts our nature beyond measure, end quote. So Aquinas reads this passage of Hebrews, and he sees it as Christ, the preexistent conscious Son of God, taking upon himself this impersonal human nature to combine it with the person of the Son of God. So from Aquinas' standpoint, the person of Jesus is this preexistent Son of God, and the humanity of Jesus is this impersonal human nature that is not actually a person. 
the humanity of Jesus, according to Aquinas, is not a real person. It's not a real human being. It's just this human nature. But that's not the argument that Hebrews is making. Hebrews will say, he himself was flesh and blood. He himself was tempted. He himself was like his brethren in all things. So like his brethren, like you and me in all things. We are not pre-existent beings that took upon us impersonal human nature. No, we are real, authentic, genuine human beings. We are members of the human race. And Hebrews is trying to say, Jesus is like us in all things, in all ways, and in all manners. But you can see how these interpreters would take this passage and find one particular way that this verb epilomvanomai could be translated, and they read that into the passage and made it say something that is very, very different. And we can see similar arguments on the way that this is understood, namely Hebrews 2.16 by Christosom, by Theodore, and even by John Calvin. No surprise there. Now, the interesting point that I think is very important for us is that every single modern translation has abandoned this line of thinking. It's not in the NASB, it's not in the New Revised Standard Version, it's not in the Holman Christian Standard Bible, it's not the RSV, it's not in the NIV, it's not in any of the modern translations. None of them, as far as I could find, are continuing to translate this verb in the sense of taking upon the human nature. They see it as offering help because of the context, because of the argument that is being made. So I think that's really important. So it's, it's interesting to see the history of interpretation with that particular passage and how that influenced predominant translations, older translations, I would say, like the King James Version and subsequently the New King James Version. But that line of thinking is completely out of fashion in modern times. Let's move to our third and final point, which is ways in which Jesus was a human being. So there are a variety of ways that Jesus is depicted as a human being in our passage within Hebrews chapter 2. Well, we have to talk about the context, and I spent a lot of time in last week's episode talking about the context where the author cites two passages from the Hebrew Bible, from Psalm 22 and from Isaiah chapter 8, where the passages involve a subject and the human family members that are associated with that subject. Psalm 22 involved David and human family members, and that passage is cited in reference to Jesus. Okay, So now Jesus has these human family members. And Isaiah chapter 8 talked about Isaiah, the prophet, having family members that God gave to Isaiah, and now the passage is cited of Jesus, and God gave human family members to Jesus. So these Old Testament passages are cited as scriptural proof that Jesus is a member of the human race and that Jesus has human brothers and sisters. It's a very ingenious way of using scriptural citations by the author of Hebrews. Because when you are going back and you're reading Psalm 22 or Isaiah chapter 8, you wouldn't initially think that this is a passage that would eventually refer to Jesus in the future. They're being read in a very interesting messianic way backwards from the perspective of the author of Hebrews. Now we talked about 
the fact in chapter 2, verse 17, that Jesus was like his brothers and sisters in all things. He was like other human beings in all things, in all ways, in all manners, in every respect. And all things, I think, means all things. It's an all-encompassing way of saying that the humanity of Jesus is exactly like my humanity, it's exactly like your humanity, and exactly like the humanity of every single Christian. So I think a natural question would be, what does the phrase all things entail? Well, certainly, human beings are mortal. They're susceptible to death. And since human beings are mortal, and, of course, God is immortal, never being able to die, this indicates that Jesus died. He's not someone who is God. And he's someone that is in need of God's intervention to rescue him from that state of being dead, which we call the resurrection of Jesus. So, being mortal indicates that he is susceptible to death, and he's in need of redemption from death. Because guess what? A recent study has indicated that 10 out of 10 people do, in fact, die. Death, of course, brings the end of life. So redemption and life and resurrection on the other end are needed to deal with the problem of death. Of course, being like other human beings in all respects indicates that Jesus has a relationship with God. Human beings were made to live in relationship with God. That is their purpose. And Jesus had a relationship with God. Specifically, the text says that he was faithful. He is characterized as faithful, indicating that God had some sort of obligations for Jesus to adhere to, and Jesus obediently and loyally fulfilled God's requirements on his life. For Jesus to be depicted as faithful in his relationship to God, it indicates that they are distinct and that God had some sort of obligations upon Jesus and Jesus fulfilled them in a faithful, loyal, and obedient manner. Another way that Jesus is human in all respects to every other human is that Jesus was tempted. Specifically, the text says that Jesus was tempted in that which he suffered, which allows him to aid those who are now being tempted, those who are currently experiencing suffering. And if it wasn't enough to say this in Hebrews chapter 2, it is said again by the author of Hebrews later in chapter 4, verse 15, which says that Jesus is the one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews 4.15, Jesus was tempted in all things as we are. The author is saying that just as we are, namely human beings, being susceptible to temptation, Jesus himself was tempted, and yet Jesus did not succumb to sin. So Jesus was actually tempted, but he did not sin. Now remember, God cannot be tempted, James chapter 1, but Jesus was tempted. Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 4, and you could add to that Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4. Now, it was the flesh and blood Jesus whose death brought freedom. And this is very important because it indicates that the doctrine of atonement within the book of Hebrews actually involves 
a member of the human race dying for your sins. It is the flesh and blood Jesus whose death brought about release and freedom. It is specifically described as Jesus, as a member of the human race, as someone who is flesh and blood. So there are a lot of people that think that a human being is incapable of dying for our sins. But that is precisely the way that the author of Hebrews depicts Jesus. It's also the way that Paul depicts Jesus in Romans chapter 5. Now we can also note that Jesus is depicted as the Jewish high priest. And there's a sense in that Jesus is the Jewish high priest right now. He is currently functioning in this capacity. And it's very important to note that all high priests were human beings who descended from the ancestry of Israel. Now, this fact that all high priests are human beings is explicitly stated in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 1. Although it's pretty clear throughout the narrative of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, the author of Hebrews states that, quote, every single high priest is taken from among men. That is, taken from among humanity. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 1. And then it goes on to argue that Jesus is the high priest. Because Jesus is a human being. He's a member of the human race. So in order for Jesus to be the high priest, it demonstrates that he cannot be God. He can't be this divine figure. He also cannot be a heavenly angel. He must, according to the qualifications that the author of Hebrews clearly states, he must, in order to be the high priest, be an authentic human being. In order to qualify for the position of high priest, according to the author of Hebrews, this is not my opinion, this is what Hebrews is saying, Jesus must be a member of the human race. And, naturally, the high priest is someone who is distinguished from God. So, in conclusion, we have observed that the author of the book of Hebrews argues that Jesus is a fully-fledged member of the human race. The book of Hebrews accomplishes this by depicting Jesus as likened to his brethren in all things through multiple scriptural citations claiming that Jesus has brothers and sisters and by speaking about the benefits of Jesus' mortal death and resurrection. Although some prominent older translations like the King James Version and some prominent interpreters in the course of church history like Ambrose, Thomas Aquinas, and John Calvin strongly argued that Hebrews 2.16 taught that the Son of God assumed human nature at his incarnation, this argument has been completely abandoned by modern scholars and commentators, who now suggest, instead, that the passage is speaking about Christ offering help to Abraham's seed. She's the one who offers help. We also observed that the temptation of Jesus, which now qualifies Jesus to come to the aid of Christians experiencing temptation, is indicative that Jesus is unlikely to be understood by the author of Hebrews as the Lord God, because God cannot be tempted. And lastly, the doctrine of the atonement depicted in the book of Hebrews is built around Jesus being 
a member of the human race, one who shares the same flesh and blood as you and me. And Jesus had to be a human being in order to redeem humanity in his death, according to the argument of Hebrews chapter 2. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Please join us next week as we look more closely at this depiction of Jesus as a high priest in the book of Hebrews. Please look forward to our next episode. Again, I want to offer a quick plug for my upcoming debate, which is on the topic of Does the Old Testament Teach Unitarianism? This debate will take place on October 22nd at 9 p.m. Eastern on the Gospel Truth YouTube page. If you're not able to watch it live and support me live, it'll be recorded and you can watch it in video form on their YouTube channel and I'm going to be able to take the debate, break it up into various podcast episodes and provide it for your listening pleasure. Now, if you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting us as we promote the important truths about the oneness and unity of God and the humanity of Jesus. You may offer a donation at the PayPal link that is associated with this episode. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is produced and edited by Dustin Williams. I am Dustin Smith, your host. Until next time, please take care.